Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 80 movies, one cage. This is episode 83, Army of One from 2016. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. We finally broke the 80 movie barrier. Congratulations to all of us and with us to celebrate this momentous occasion. Cage, published Cage author, Lindsay Gibb. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. Hi. This was a movie, I think, I don't remember, I feel like, and this, this might be subject to fact-checking that no one is going to do, mm-hmm. but I feel like you might have signed up for this movie while we were still recording phase one of Cage Club, that we had known about this movie back when we were still doing three a week, and you were like, I want this movie. This movie sounds crazy. I want to be involved. Oh, yeah. I think I think you record, I think you requested it a while ago. Definitely. I, I feel like it was even when I was just signing up for, like, the first episodes that I did with you guys. I know how Mike and I feel about it. I don't know about you, but did it live up to your almost year-long anticipation? It did. And I was surprised. There's been other movies like The Trust that I was like, that mm-hmm. one looks like it's going to be good. I'm, re- I'm going to really like this one. And it was, I did like The Trust. I didn't dislike the trust but it wasn't as good as I expected so I felt like everything that was coming out now was like not as good as my hopes had me thinking they would be but this one this one was good (laughs) because Mike and I recorded Dog Eat Dog earlier this week and that one also had the possibility of being great and that just sort of turned out to be like not not too great but with a cool couple cool moments but Mm -hmm. then you know Mike and I were sort of talking at the end of that one we were like I hope I hope I hope that Army of One is good because it's kind of our last hope this yeah, year. Yeah. Right. And it is amazing, isn't it, Mike? Beyond expectations. And <laughs> didn't really know anything about this movie until I turned it on and it struck me that this is the Bin Laden movie and it's directed by Larry Charles and that it was yep. going to be a comedy. And I was so grateful for that that we were gonna just you know get comedy cage back again. And like you just mentioned, after the last few cage movies, like we've had this year we've had dog eat dog we had the uss indianapolis and you know we were just really looking forward to any new cage and while he was fairly good in those movies those movies were not fairly good on a whole but uh, <laughs> it was just really nice to get something solid again and and really be extremely entertained through and through larry charles for people who don't know him by name because i didn't know him by name uh directed borat and bruno and a bunch of other movies but he's maybe best known for those would you say those or am i missing something yeah and i also know him from curb your enthusiasm so he has like a yeah so he's like got a really sort of loose filmmaking style where he'll go off script notes instead of full scripts and i think they even did some of that with this i don't know if you watched the seven minute behind the scene making of that came with the dvd but they sort of talk about the process of making this movie and they were able to you know elaborate and go off script and such and yeah so i I mostly knew him as like this improv comedy director like Borat as well and that kind of stuff plus he worked on Seinfeld that was the thing I knew his name that's how I knew his name there's a Larry David connection all right Mm. this is based on a true story about this guy Gary Brooks Faulkner I think Mm -hmm. uh, who supposedly heard the word of God and his mission his goal in life was to go to Pakistan and find and capture not kill but find and capture Osama bin Laden God in this movie is played by Russell Brand, and he's, you know, I'm not a huge Russell Brand fan. He's kind of, I think, overstayed his cultural welcome, but maybe the fact that he hasn't really done much in the last couple years, he's great in this movie. Like, I really liked him in this movie. Yeah, so did I. I was reading some IMDb reviews, and not that that's really where I go for my reviews, but there was a lot of people who really felt that Russell Brand ruined the movie, and I disagree. I disagree. I think he was good. I mean, he was him. I don't think he was anything I haven't seen him do before, but I think 
think it worked. I also am not like a huge Russell Brandt fan, but like I like him as like a personality. I I understand that you're going to get one thing kind of from him. Like he's not really going to stray from his persona too much. And I thought it was an interesting way to go with the God character to make him this foul-mouthed Brit rocker almost kind of guy. Like just nothing you would ever associate really with the classic version of God. Maybe more along the lines of Jesus, but not not God. I think he works best in small doses too is the other thing like he's carried a few movies you know the dreaded Arthur remake (laughs) and all of that and so yeah I feel like you know a little went a long way and this was just like a really good role for him because he's third build I believe in this movie after Cage and Wendy McClendon Covey but even though he's third build he's not in it that much and so even if you don't like him and he basically is I mean your description of him he's basically playing himself as God like it's not it's not really like much of a stretch I don't think Mm -hmm. but he's not in it that much he just kind of pops in and out and even at one point it's just like hey this is the last time I'm going to talk to you like this is my last message to you go do your thing like I'm I'm, I'm not going to talk to you anymore and he doesn't show up for a while and he eventually comes back and pops in a few more times but if you don't like him I can't imagine people saying that he ruined the movie I did notice that this movie only has a 5.1 on IMDb which is pretty bad like really actually <laughs> kind of shocking. bad the only other review that I saw I was more of a critical review than an audience review Birth Movies Death said that cage and wackiness sometimes mix but not here and Ooh. I completely disagree because here's a real hot take I know Lindsay's going to disagree with this but aside from Raising Arizona I think this is Cage's funniest movie oh you think I'm going to say Vampire's Kiss or something I think so no I would agree like Vampire's Kiss I think is dark like it's it's funny but I think it has other things going for it that I enjoy I put this up there with Raising Arizona as funniest I laughed out loud more at this movie than any other Cage movie that I can remember and any movie I've watched in general in the last you know handful of years for sure I mean it was perfect for him yeah I felt like this is the type of role he really needed around this time something that only he could do you know something that really showcased his talents like his voice that voice that he does you know we've heard it charlie bodell charlie bodell mm. and and the mole in g-force as well <laughs> yeah. if i'm not mistaken it's speckles he even throws in a, a little bit of like a burning big daddy when he's screaming and stuff like <laughs> he, he's really just like high energy constant on just is an exhausting performance but <laughs> i feel like i'm watching something only he can do again like this is why i feel like this is what he's all about to me you know this is mm-hmm. exactly the type of thing that sets him apart and i baffled that people can look at this and go oh like he's trying too hard or he's missing the mark or it's too much and to me it's like no like this is we need more more movies like this where he'll he'll take these huge chances and stick with them i agree with the uh raising arizona but i also want to throw in honeymoon in vegas there you know i think these three are my top favorite cage comedies now and i'm not i'm not a huge fan of honeymoon in vegas I, I won't argue with you. I'm just not a huge fan of that movie. Hmm. Well, I just, his performance in it as like the manic sort sure, of madcap okay. cage, I think really sets it apart for me. What I did want to say is that I don't know how well this movie will play for people not obsessed with cage. Hmm. I think they're going to definitely huh. like it less because it is a lot. He's <laughs> turned it up all the way and he doesn't let off the accelerator the entire movie. There's so much voiceover in this movie and it's not him, it's just a narrator. And mm-hmm. I, it works, I think, just because the premise is so crazy 
that they need to sort of explain why this any of this is happening, and I'm okay with that. But this narrator is sort of introducing Cage, and he just talks nonstop for probably two or three minutes early on. And it's amazing. Like, I love it, but I can see people who don't love him getting turned off already. Yeah, I, I see this movie kind of as Deadfall if Deadfall had been good and had a good plot. Mm. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see people, like, definitely people would watch Deadfall and not like any aspect of it, even Cage. And so, yeah, I guess I could see people coming to, to this and being like, what is even happening? And also just being like, he's just over the top. But, like, he's not just over the top in this. Like, there's a purpose to his over-the-topness in this film. If you've ever watched an interview with Gary Faulkner, this is the perfect character for him to play. Because <laughs> he's pretty accurate to what that guy's like. I mean, he's obviously bigger, but it's pretty good. Yeah, I watched the Letterman interview after because I saw mm-hmm. in the closing credits how similar he did look to the guy. And not like a dead ringer or anything, but mm-hmm. there were a few shots in the movie. You know, I rewatched some of it again and I was like wow he's like he is very close to the look yeah he doesn't sound exactly like the guy but the dude is a larger than life character and you have to really become that on screen like almost a cartoon version of that to even get across a portion of the guy of his actual persona so like you may look at Cage's performance and be like whoa that's like crazy over the top but the man himself that he's portraying is along the same lines temperamentally and everything so it's weird like I don't know if maybe knowing the backstory of this will sort of help you through it because Joey's right like it could be taken as kind of overbearing if you're really not into Cage and really turned on by what he's doing here because he is just like in a bar yelling about hot wings and America (laughs) and God and stuff and so like he does just kind of seem like a crazy ugly American at first but as the movie goes on I really sort of sympathize with him to a degree or at least like start rooting for him worst part of having this bad kidney getting dialysis three times a week is they won't let me eat chicken wings. Man, this country makes the best goddamn chicken wings in the world. Now, I haven't seen the whole world. I haven't tasted the chicken wings in Africa, but I'd be willing to bet the right fall on a broke dick dog that no place makes better wings than they do here. Some other reasons America is the best country ever, fastest cars. Now, some douche nugget pointed out that the Italians and the Germans make faster rides on account of their Ferraris and their Mercedes. Well, I'm talking about non-fascist automobiles. Also, I'm pretty sure more people kick ass here than in any other country. I mean, some people claim that you can't quantify kick acidness. Those are usually people whose asses have been recently kicked. I mean, he does say at one point, right, that, like, America's the greatest country on Earth, but it's not the government that's full of crooks and liars. It's about the people. And so this is the kind of movie where it's not just a guy who's blind to how great America is. He just loves the people, and he's willing to kind of give up his own life. Like, I don't think he realizes it, at least the, the way that Cage portrays it, I don't think this guy realizes fully that he's kind of ruining his life and definitely ruining the lives of his girlfriend and her daughter mm-hmm. and just not being around. He just thinks that he has to do this and that the people of America deserve vengeance or something for 9-11. And so this is his job. This is what he can do. It's weirdly, disturbingly kind of patriotic. It's it's sad, but it's also really admirable in a weird way. There's a moment where Gary is talking to God. He says, but you're the one true God. 
And I wonder if that line is just a coincidence or if it's a call out to the whole Nick Cage, <laughs> one true God. Oh, man, the thing. Reddit sub. Mm, yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about that. Whoa. That's crazy. Uh-huh. There's that line, but then also at the end of the movie, what might be my oh. favorite scene from any yes. Cage movie ever. Which, which is crazy, Joey, just if I may just quickly interject, which is crazy because in the Dog Eat Dog, the best moment of that came at the end. Remember yes. that? And we were mm-hmm. like, if you're going to watch that movie, just skip to the end for the Bogart impression. And yeah. I didn't think that was really, I didn't think it'd be possible to top that, but please go ahead and explain what happens. Well, I don't know if you remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait on this for a second, but I don't know if you remember when they were shooting Dog Eat Dog, yes. there was that video clip where they had Cage come in in the cop uniform and he was like, you don't say. You and like, don't you say. Knew yeah. That he knew that there was like this joke about him because he's mm-hmm. not a dumb guy. He knows he has a certain kind of fandom. I don't know that he knows consciously knows that people like us exist that sort of take that inversion on him, like why people like him and invert that. So I don't know if he knows that we're out there, but he knows that the internet loves him for being crazy and he went with that on turning this meme into real life. You don't say! Here... If this movie was any bigger, I I can't imagine. I don't know how <laughs> I hadn't heard of this until I saw it. Like it, the fact that it wasn't on the internet is amazing. But there's a scene at the end after the government brings him back. This is toward the very very end. He keeps going back and forth between Pakistan, and we'll go over all that. But the government finally brings him home. It's just like that's it. You're done. No more. He becomes this national hero, and like he's on talk shows, he's on radio shows. People love him because he's a crazy guy with a samurai sword who flew to Pakistan to capture Bin Laden. Like the fact that that actually happened is amazing, <laughs> and he becomes this icon. And they cut to Cage in the bar, and it's Cage as Gary Faulkner, and he's looking at the camera. But he's, I guess, talking to Paul Shear and Will Sasso, but they're not in the shot. It's basically like he's talking to us. And he talks about... I'm not even... I'm not going to explain, but just like, let's play the clip. Hollywood called, and they want to make a movie about the G. And they said, who do you want to play? You Clint Eastwood or Dan Aykroyd? I thought, I don't know. And then they brought up Nick Cage. I said, Nick Cage and Con Air. Don't you think I look a little like Nick Cage and Con Air? And it's amazing like i had to pause this movie because i could not handle (laughs) how meta how funny this for all intents and purposes should be his last movie because like there's nothing he can do (laughs) ever that beats that scene it feels like that it feels like everything had been leading to that moment you know he's just like clint eastwood dan Aykroyd, uh nick cage i think i look like him in con air i mean not just nick cage but con air and Yeah. yeah i literally lost my mind like i hadn't felt like that in so long like i was clapping along with this entire movie (laughs) and then that happens it was perfect it was just the only thing that would be better and when i was telling my friends last night about this movie and about that scene they were describing that that we should write a movie that you know mike and i have talked a while about like writing the ultimate cage movie but writing a movie, the only way they could top it is to write one where Cage plays himself and he's stalked by, like, crazy fans. That's sort of like a being <laughs> John Malkovich. Like, that's the only way that you can get more meta and more on the nose. I don't, I don't know. Like, this is so perfect. And I feel like if you're not into this movie, that might be the moment that, like, seals the deal. Like, this movie is stupid. But if you're enjoying that, that's just the cherry on top of the sundae. That is the best thing I could ever ask for in any movie ever. It was also great that Paul Shear was in this. How Did yep. This Get Made talks about 
Nicolas Cage all the time. I think maybe, I don't know if he's still the most talked about person. They do a whole sequence when they're like, would this movie be better with Nick Cage in it? Yeah, oh, right. I went, yep. okay. When he showed up, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The most recent How This Get Me, they did Vampire's Kiss, and I haven't listened to it yet, but Paul Shear talks about working with Cage, so if you want to hear that, he, he definitely shared what it was like working with what seems like, for all intents and purposes, like one of his role models for one of his icons. Yeah, for sure. Well, back when I guess they announced this movie, I saw that Paul Shear was going to be in it, and I was like, oh, I'm dying for this to happen, and then to hear what he thinks about it. So, yeah, I listened to the Vampire's Kiss episode, but I didn't make it to the end, I guess, where he talks about that, so I'm excited. I don't even know how to talk about this movie, because it's just your joy <laughs> favorite moments to maybe? end. I guess. I, I mean, there's so many quotes I wrote down that I don't want to put too many audio clips in this episode. Like, we're going to put the big ones, of course. But this is a movie that if you like Cage Club, if you like Cage at all, if you <laughs> yeah. if you have anything in common with this podcast or with us, this is a movie that you're going to want to see and not really have fully spoiled by this. Sure. Really, honestly, genuinely, every line he says is almost quotable. Like, they're all yeah. crazy. Absolutely. Like, not only is he delivering it in that insane voice... But he's also got three or four nicknames for himself. He's got these things, like Mike was saying, you know, he brings up chicken wings a handful of times throughout the movie about how America has the best chicken wings, and that's what makes it the best country on earth. You know, he calls himself the G, and he calls himself, I don't even, what else is he called? He's got other nicknames. The Donkey King. Oh, right. The Psychic Wizard. Yes. And the G, yeah. He calls Osama Bin Laden, Binny Boy. (laughs) So... I have you guys read the GQ article that I guess inspired this that was about Gary Faulkner? No. No. In that, I mean, I read it a long time ago and I started to reread it again just for this, but in that it says that Gary Faulkner had a habit of calling Bin Laden Binny Boy, so it's not made up for the movie. Wow. It's actually That's actually something awesome. he says. Because that almost feels like something crafted out of the character, right? Like yeah. some something the character would say but didn't, so it's like even better that that's something he really was referring himself to. And it's funny too because you hear it at times Cage as the character is like, ah, oh, the Pakistanis are great people. They're very warm. They're very everything. And then you hear him on Letterman. He's like, yeah, they're great people. They're very warm. So he's like clearly channeling a lot of this dude through him, which is awesome. And I also heard on that interview, he went over there like a total of like 11 times in reality. Yeah. Something. So like he, he is even more insane in person than, than he's being portrayed. For sure. I think my one biggest fear about this, like I really wanted to like this movie. So I had high hopes for it. And my biggest fear about it that it was that it would be racist. I feel like it didn't go anywhere. I'm sure there's things that are like major stereotypes about what Pakistan is like. I'm sure it's not completely accurate, but it didn't it wasn't outwardly racist in any way that I don't know. What did you guys think about that? I think it works and I'm sure it is on some level, like you said, racist, that it's not it didn't set off any alarms in my head, but I think why it works so well is because he is such a fool the entire mm-hmm. time yeah. that no matter what he does, they can't look worse than him. That <laughs> I guess sure. the biggest Pakistani caricatures maybe are the two like hotel entrepreneurs, the guys who run the hotel, and they're comical, over-the-top guys. But in that scene, Cage 
bites something and like breaks his tooth and is mm-hmm. acting like a real insane jerk. Like it just nothing they're doing is worse than what he's doing. So if that's right. making Pakistan look bad, it's making America look even worse. <laughs> right. Yeah. He went to, 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 to know how about America. Man, America's good. Hamburger. We got we got hamburgers. We got Dairy Queen. We got the best chicken wings in the world. Woman, woman, woman. I think another way that you could look at it is that like this isn't really an objective look at Pakistan. No. It's like a look at Pakistan through the eyes of a crazy American. Right. <laughs> and yeah. no matter what he's seeing, because I wondered at one point, like, how much of this movie is a hallucination? Because he's on dialysis the entire time, he's having kidney issues, yeah. and a couple times he blacks out and just has sort of dream sequences but they're filmed in ways that are like the rest of the movie and I was wondering if this whole movie was going to be dream sequence of some kind or if they're going to be entire chunks that are going to sort of snap back to reality and luckily we don't have that but nothing in this movie is really grounded in any kind of real reality everything is insane and so with that scope I don't think racism is something to really be concerned about so in like dog eat dog there was some racism that I was like this is completely unnecessary. Like I know these guys are dirtbags, but I don't need I don't think they needed to also be racist on top of it. And in this, like reading the GQ article about Gary Faulkner, apparently he continually calls people from Pakistan packies all the time, even though people are constantly <laughs> yeah. like, hey, don't don't say that. Uh, <laughs> so it's a good thing that Nick Cage's character didn't do that. I'm sure, like, they mm-hmm. knew that that's how Gary talked, so it's a good thing that that's not how they built the character. I guess the real sort of danger is, like, do you really want to portray this guy as a hero? No, but I don't think he's a hero just because he didn't say that, you know? <laughs> like, I think <laughs> it was true, unnecessary fair. to add it. Yeah, I think, I think they get the point across well enough that, yeah, he's the one that's misbehaving uh, so to speak like there's that one what about when they're in Vegas and which is a great sequence because they're only winning like he's on that crazy hot streak but, but then are he, they winning well that's the other thing that that <laughs> is also kind of included with the whole he's off his dialysis so I mean he clearly hallucinated God telling him to go to Pakistan and hunt Bin Laden the other thing is like yeah but when he goes to Vegas and is confronted in the hallway by the Mexican guys you know and he thinks that they're mm. like you know he just assumes like all this stuff about him based on their look so yeah from that point on i sort of understood the perspective of this film where it's like we're gonna just show you like the ugly side of america through this guy but in the end not to make him a hero or anything like that but just show that he's a person too you know and that mm. he's got issues like everyone else and he has trials but he tried to accomplish like this this insane thing. And also at the same time, he is abandoning this woman that he's with, Wendy McClendon Covey, and her daughter, who has cerebral palsy, and he, I mean, he has really offensive things to say, like, at least I'm not as bad off as your daughter, like, just, like, without without meaning to be, but he's leaving them, he's abandoning them, he's not there for them, but when he is around, he is, like, a genuinely good guy, like, he rebuilds the ramps before they're even dating, I mean, he he treats the daughter like there's nothing wrong with her, really. I mean, he just, he talks to her like an adult, even though she doesn't talk back. It's weird to sort of admire him because he is such an idiot and such like a simple person, but he is, it seems like, like, almost across the board, like a really good-hearted person. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's definitely a complex character, even though he's just kind of raving throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's not a nickname for him, but the news reporter, a news report calls him the Rocky Mountain Rambo. So that's another nickname that we can sort of (laughs) attribute to him. He does, at one point, his goal is to fly to... What country is he going to fly to? Israel? Yeah, he's going to go to Israel and then hang glide to Pakistan. Because even if he doesn't make it to Pakistan, he'll land in one of the saltiest seas in the world, I think the Dead Sea or whatever, and you know he won't die because he'll just float because everything floats. And that's the opening image of yeah. the whole freaking movie. Like, if you're not on board with that opening image, like, what <laughs> is wrong with you? It's, it's Nick Cage on an American yep. flag hang glider holding a samurai sword with a boombox <laughs> taped to it. <laughs> Give it up. Give it up. Like It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> what more could you want? And there's great when he's... I mean, this is in the trailer, too, when he like wakes up inside, wrapped inside. I don't even know if it's a sleeping bag or if it's just purely an American flag <laughs> that he's wrapped himself inside of. But then when he comes out of it and just starts like he's in his underwear and he's just like kicking the air. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> And of course, Nicolas Cage with a beard is always my favorite Nicolas Cage. When I saw he had a beard, I was wondering if he was going to shave or not, and he doesn't <laughs> Well, I was wondering if beards give him oh, secret magic acting powers, because like, the last time was <laughs> Joe, right? And like, Joe yeah. was a great movie and a great performance, so he should maybe keep the beard? <laughs> I don't know. That's a really Absolutely. good point. He also has a ponytail in this movie. Is that? It's not a wig. That's probably his uh-huh. hair, right? I have no idea. I'd love to know. I bet it's part, partial, part impartial. So he, he just sort of has his own weave going on? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, because how much time does he have between movies? He had three movies come out this year. So, like, how much time did he no, have he to grow No, he had five movies hair? come out this year. Oh, what? Four movies, five movies. He had The Trust in April. Oh, I think I forgot that The Trust was this year. USS Indianapolis, Dog Eat Dog, This, and Snowden. Yeah, five movies oh, this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> How much time would he have had to grow his hair? I don't know. I guess, because it also, it is, he is, he is white-haired in this. Mm-hmm. So. Probably a wig. <laughs> yeah. It's probably a wig, but it's, it looks, it's, it's a realistic looking wig. I guess that's why we're having problems, because it looks like it could be his hair. And I would love to see, how old is he now? He's like 50, he's 52-ish. You know, in 15, 20 years, like, some movie like Nebraska, where he plays <laughs> the old sort of crazy man, I can totally see a future where he's pigeonholed as that. I'm okay with it, I think. Yeah, I remember in Dying of the Light, he <laughs> tried to play, like, a 70-year-old. Remember, that was kind of weird, where we had our, I think that was our first gray-haired cage or something, but we were like, oh, he's playing... The first Paul Schrader. He was playing, yeah, and, down with that movie but like he was playing older for like the first time in that but it is kind of funny to see him here i don't know i don't think he's playing older but he definitely has like he looks older and the gray is a good look Mm. for him like this like i don't know i really feel like like he's selling this look like it doesn't like we're saying we can't even tell if it's his hair or if it's a wig like they did a really good job with the makeup and everything in here everything feels like authentic even pakistan which they went and shot in morocco they did a really great job like it fooled me i i didn't know because i'm like oh larry charles like he's like this guerrilla comedy filmmaker you know borat and all that he'll just go to the place and shoot i mean i didn't think they necessarily went to 
Pakistan, but like I was saying, like they did a really. But who knows? But who knows? <laughs> yeah, and they did do a really good job. I feel with the look of this film. I, I was saying to Joey, like I just don't understand why this wasn't released in theaters. Like, what is the drama behind the scenes? Because like there haven't really been a whole lot of like really mentionable comedies this year. I mean, like Deadpool, Central Intelligence, and the one the masterminds maybe like but this i also feel like for me for my money blows them out of the water like it, it deserved to be up there on the big screen like i can only imagine like how, how it would have played it would have just been so great yeah i don't know why it didn't just get like a week or something did it get anywhere in the states i don't think so because the, the release yeah. date as far as i could tell was tuesday and it was just the blu-ray dvd release yeah and the vod release too like i don't think no the vod was earlier in the month yeah, I think it was a week ago, or they released it like two weeks early on video demand, but you had to buy it. You couldn't rent it. So that's, I think, why we right. waited until we could actually either own it or rent it. We, we've talked about it a little bit on other podcasts, other episodes. The way that movies are released now, nothing is really consistent. And I do, I mean, there are a bunch more comedies this year that you didn't mention. I mean, like Swiss Army Man, The Nice Guys is a comedy, and Popstar, and Zootopia is kind of a comedy. But you also have movies like Mr. Right, which was like a really funny comedy that just went straight to VOD. I think it's just a matter of the production deal that says, hey, we're just going to give you $2 million to make this movie or whatever the X number of dollars is. We're not going to market it really. It's just going to go on VOD. Like, I think there's just, there's just a whole mm-hmm. new way that movies get made that mm-hmm. don't go to theaters anymore. People don't see movies in theaters really anymore. And so, you know, that's why you have Dog Eat Dog maybe in theaters for like a week. Like, I think that's in theaters now, possibly, but it's that's not you, you don't see advertisements for it. Right. Snowden was the only one this year out of all five of his movies that was really in theaters at all, and that's just because Oliver Stone's behind that. Right. Like, none of his other movies, even with a name like Cage, that people are going to go, even just sort of like a curious fan who just wants to sort of go to see it to make fun of it, it's just not going to happen for them. I still think people will hold that against him. I mean, people do hold it against him. They say all his stuff is straight to video and whatever, but like, this, yeah, this movie in particular does deserved to be in theaters yeah it's just the kind of thing that i feel that if the average moviegoer saw the trailer or saw this in theaters and was like whoa like that's nick cage now or like <laughs> look at this like i don't know it just seems like very like it would intrigue them to a degree or it would make them think twice about what you know where's he been what's he been up to i should check him out more things like <laughs> totally. stuff like that yeah definitely compared to the rest of the movies he had this year like the trust and uss indianapolis and stuff like that like i i kind of understand a little more why those went to demand mm-hmm. there just seems to be less of a market for those types of things but for comedies like that's what confused me maybe the buyers weren't aware that it was supposed to be a comedy and they were trying to market it as like a I don't know, like an assassin thriller or something. Who knows who was, whether they're trying to sell this, but like I just feel like comedies get a lot more leeway and they're just thrown out there for the public consumption just because there's so damn many of them all the time. And maybe that's why so many don't stick with me because there's just like a flood of them and everything. If the mass of the public had seen this, like they would have embraced it. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a lot on the last episode with Jordan, about Jordan saying that Nick Cage doesn't make good movies anymore. Boo. Right in line with what you're saying. Like, this is the kind of movie that if you show people... The, the whole thing, Lindsay, that we were saying, just to sort of quickly recap, is that she said that because she watched Rage with us, and then she watched Dog Eat Dog, and she's like, these aren't movies that mm-hmm. I want to see. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Like, you're just, you're just sort of picking bad movies. Like, he's still putting out a really good movie per year, which is like a great average i mean if, if your favorite actor puts out one great movie a year 
that's awesome. Like that's exactly right. what we want. I mean, Joe came out three years ago, and Joe was amazing. And then since Joe, Outcast is pretty good. The Trust is not bad, and Army of One's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, he's still making good movies. It's just that there's a lot of movies in between that aren't as good. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I mean, I think we've established that I, and I think you guys also, think that Nicolas Cage is good in everything. He's just not always in good things. But it's great when he's both good and in something that's enjoyable to watch like this. Yeah, that was another thing about this we didn't really reference at all, though. But it's like a pretty, it's a pretty tight script. Like, I was pretty surprised about how trim this was, you know? Like, it really knows what, what it wants to talk about. The Pakistan stuff and the girlfriend stuff. Like, they really don't try to fit in a whole lot of other things going on. I mean, there's a little bit with the CIA at the end. And it does feel like maybe some of that was cut, but probably that was the right instinct because they're there basically as little as you need them you know what i'm saying like they're there mm. because they need to be in the story and it you could t- i could totally see them dwelling on those guys you know mm. even the stuff they do seems a little too funny for their own good <laughs> at some points and with the rain wilson and everything even though i do like that stuff because my favorite bond happens to be timothy dalton also but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just really appreciated how on message it stayed and it didn't feel like it was forcing itself to go in directions that it wasn't designed to go into you know and I just really appreciated that because you just see movies spiral out of control often yeah that was just refreshing I was glad that that it was a sound script. At what point do we talk about the cage connection? <laughs> oh, the cage connection. Oh my god. <laughs> from the mid 80s, like from one of his very, very, very first films? Huh, I guess it was one of his very first, yeah. <laughs> that was a reunion. His seventh movie, I think, oh. if I'm counting right. Oh, it was a reunion. That was another, like, I mean, the end of the movie when he was. It was like Nick Cage should play me. Yeah, that I I was losing it, but I had already lost my mind when Dr. Rose showed up. Yeah. I could not believe. I could not believe it. When Matthew Modine walked out, and I said to my husband, "It's Birdie," and he was like, "What?" <laughs> like they're together again. I'm going to sail to Pakistan. I'm going to capture Osama bin Laden and bring him back to America for justice and stuff. Because I sorry, think I want to say that again. I, I'm going to go get Osama bin Laden out of Pakistan. And I want to keep you safe. I want to keep America safe. And frankly, I want to keep me safe. Well, what are you talking about? What, what I'm talking about is that I, 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 I'm going to buy a sailboat. And I thought maybe, because my dance car is a little light, that maybe you could loan me a thousand bucks because I, I don't, I, I, it's a little light. And I'll pay you back 250 a week. And then we can take care of this Al-Qaeda issue together. A sailboat? Yeah, to go to Pakistan to capture uh, Bin Laden. What do you really want the money for? <laughs> some kind of trouble. <laughs> we rescued him from the Upside Down, reunited him with Cage, yeah. and all is well with the world. Yeah. Well, I wonder so if he good. went through the Upside Down and fell out another dimension. <laughs> Ooh. So good. But, like, would you guys, did you guys ever in a million years think you'd see the two of them on screen together? Like, no. I just, ear-to-ear grins. Like, I could only imagine, like, the stories they were sharing with each other and, like, how good it was to see each other. Like, I just was, like, beaming during that entire scene only because, like, he, Modine doesn't even really say much no. like he gets swindled for a thousand dollars basically uh but his presence is it goes a long way uh-huh yeah i almost want to just pop it in and watch that part again just to see them together and be like 
<laughs> and that, that's one of my favorite times when Cage is explaining his mission also, because he just knows that the doctor isn't going to believe him, so he could, like, really go, yeah, you know, I'm going to get a boat and sail to Pakistan, kill Bin Laden, you know, <laughs> save America. Like That's another thing, like, he reiterates that over and over, and I really love the repetition of that, because, again, it kind of helps the audience stay on track too where it's just like no every time he's like yeah maybe i should stay with the girl and give this up god shows up and he's like i will smite you i will wipe you from history you know and then he's on a plane telling the passenger yeah you know i'm going to pakistan to kill bin laden i hear they call him the bearded one (laughs) he'll tell anybody he's in the cab and he's like i'm here to kill bin laden (laughs) oh well you know, I read some interviews with Nicolas Cage, I'm sure you guys did too, um, around this movie, and he said that being with Gary was exhausting. The way that he <laughs> depicted him was pretty accurate <laughs> in that sense. He does come across as a guy, like, you're hanging out with him, and you, you hear, like, all of his best stories, and, and then, like, the next time you hang out with him, you're hearing, like, he's sneaking in the same stories again, right. like, if he's that kind of guy, but you can't really fault him for it, because he's he's a good storyteller, mm-hmm. so you'll let him go. <laughs> But I also feel like Gary's the kind of guy that if you hang out with him, like you reach a point where you're like, all right, Gary, like enough. Like I love you, but just not tonight. Like I cannot deal with you tonight. I can't. I just can't. Gary, just not tonight. Well, it was yeah. so funny that his only two friends were Will Sasso and uh, Paul Shear because like they're both just like bald guys and like one's fat and one's skinny. So I, just, I don't know. It was just kind of funny that his only friend or friends were like these two guys who were almost like the same person almost. Like you could have just like interchanged them or anything. He just had like these two sidekicks and they were both bald. I just, I found that amusing. Let's talk about him and Wendy McClendon Covey, who mm. was his high school crush, yeah. I guess. And it turns out that she always had a crush on him. And I feel like this is definitely condensed for the movie, as opposed to probably whatever happened in real life, because it's just they run into each other at a Home Depot after Cage is running around, not working there, but just telling everybody, don't buy these things, they're all made overseas. <laughs> African people have smaller poops than you do, so like this toilet's not going to be able to... Fl- like flush properly. Why would you buy a shower head from a country that doesn't take showers? <laughs> Don't buy that toilet. That toilet was made in Africa. Pygmies made that toilet and they take small shits. Your turd, your potty, your poo, as it were, won't make it past the flusher. You who? Seriously, why would you buy a faucet from a country in the midst of a drought? I don't know what you're putting up, but that ain't gonna hold it. I want you to trust me because I'm probably the only person in this whole store that'll tell you the truth. Now, if you need anything at all, you call me. I'm Gary Faulkner, your go-to handyman. Everything imported, he's just shooting down. Then he sees her, and he delivers the most disgusting, creepiest pickup line, and somehow it works. Gary Faulkner. Marcy Mitchell. Oh, my I God. I cannot believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. You look great. I had so many fantasies about you in high school. I must have gone through about 100 boxes of Kleenex. That is disgusting, but I'll take it. Because I always had a brush on you. And she's like, (laughs) she's like, that's gross, but I'll take it. (laughs) Like, they have such an awkward, it's not even an awkward meet cute, but I like that because I think we've talked about, I think it was on Zack Attack episodes. We're not interested in showing this woman rebuffing him. Mm. Like, she just has to be part of the movie, and so we're going to have her kind of fall in love with him immediately. And, like, she's going to put up, the only roadblock she puts up is, I'm not going to tell you where I live, 
find me. And then he just shows up to her house with ice cream, and then he basically just lives there for the yeah. rest of the movie. I like that they don't waste time, you know, him trying to go after her. The whole movie is singularly focused on him getting to Pakistan as many times as it takes. This is such a weird, cha- like, over-the-top chance encounter, but it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I think the fact that they meet in that way and that he says that really sets up that she can tolerate just about anything from him, so it establishes why she's able to stay with him while he keeps just disappearing to Pakistan for something that she's not really behind. She'd rather he just stays there, and I don't think she really thinks he's going to succeed either, but she's kind of just like, okay. Yeah, she's she wants to be supportive, yeah, right? But exactly. she doesn't want to be like why does this have to be the thing that I have to be supportive right. about? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so that's tough. Yeah, but she's like a saint. I mean, my God. Totally. <laughs> that's great. And I also think they, I mean, maybe to a degree, all that stuff might not have even happened, you know? Like, it could have just been in there just to, like, from a story standpoint, to show what's really important, right? Like, it's not important if he... It's almost like he's trying to break a Guinness record, like, in the long run. Like, it's not really important if he goes and captures Bin Laden. What's important is, like, he's found a life or like a home or he's found what's really important which is like this this woman and you know all of that stuff in the end he ends up choosing that too so it kind of helps highlight his growth in a way that might not have been there in real life or if it was there maybe it could have just been just not at all related to the bin laden stuff or something you know but i'm glad it's in there it might have even been too much if it was like he gets there in like 20 minutes and then he's spending the whole time in pakistan like i kind of like that he doesn't get there until like halfway through the movie almost and that's what i thought it was going to be i thought he was going to be there the whole time and the fact that he's he it takes a while to get there and then he keeps coming back like he's back a few times Mm. and we sort of get grounded back in reality and then he only goes back over like I would say probably close to an hour of the 90 minutes is in America, right? Yeah, or him, his like early attempts at getting there too. You know, he gets a couple roadblocks with the boat and then with the plane, like he can't fly directly <laughs> to Pakistan. And one of the best scenes is when he goes to customs. Well, first he like, he can't bring his sword well, on the plane. Hold on, but before that, before that, <laughs> that's why I broke my arm because I was trying to hire up the sail. Oh, yeah. Like, he's so bad. Oh, the he wants to get a boat to sail from San Diego to Pakistan. <laughs> and he's on this like tiny little dinghy that is just shy of yacht length, so he's not comfortable calling it a yacht, as we find out later in the movie. But there's this probably minimum wage security guard who just wanders up and just like, hey, sir, what are you doing here? And he just, he's got a broken arm just because we don't see the scene, but apparently he's so bad at sailing that he broke his arm just trying to get the (laughs) sail up. Like, man, there's so much of this movie that I want to (laughs) see that I'm kind of glad we don't see because it's almost funnier that we don't. There are some great off-screen moments. Well, and by the way, you know, Morocco was Pakistan and Canada was the States because they filmed oh. they filmed the America parts here. I don't really know where. That's, uh, yeah, and he's, he was mostly in Colorado, right? Like, that was his home state, right? I so. I loved in the boat, I don't know if you guys caught this, but it was called the Aries, and he graffitied a big G in front of it, so it said Geary's. Oh my god. <laughs> Instead of Aries. But it's not oh, yeah. spelled like it's spelled A R I E S. So he just put a G in front of that. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Mike, you brought up you brought up something else. You were you're talking about the boat. Oh, you're talking about the airport lady. Oh yeah. So like right. So, like it takes him a while to actually get to Pakistan, which I, I like that it was like 
first half of the movie. And then he gets to the airport and he wants to bring the samurai sword on. And he's like yelling at the lady at the ticket booth. And it, I was getting airport jail flashbacks from Honeymoon in Vegas there. That to me was a great scene. And then he's told like he has to go to customs to get a special visa and the guy at the customs counter is like what what could you possibly say to me that would allow you to go to pakistan and he whips out this speech some kind of joke no this couldn't be any less of a joke sir this is as serious as a thing can get okay you give me one good reason why i should stamp this and the united states of america should let gary brooks faulkner into one of the hairiest places on earth well do you believe in god and America, and justice, and freedom, and just doing what's right. And, and the guy hears him say all that, he just stamps the paper. Like, like, it just, that's all you need to say. Yeah. Like, those moments, man, that's the thing. Like, oh, I just feel like they're filled with these great moments that come to life. And, yeah, so the movie just, like, every time it sort of settles, it, like, kicks off again in, a, in like, a really cool way. Well, what I really, really loved about his interaction with the airport woman, who is a woman named Fiona Vroom, like the sound the car makes, like Vroom Vroom. Oh. She is in that new BBC America show Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. But what I liked about her character is that there's a great interaction where he's literally holding a samurai sword in the airport and she's like, sir, you can't bring that on the plane. And he's shouting to her about Al-Qaeda. And this movie, again, is just like, you can't do that in a Borat or a Bruno because it would be in real life. But here, they're basically the only people in the airport. And he's just shouting about these things. She just gets him to check it. That is a samurai sword. Uh, you cannot take that on the plane. No, listen, you don't understand. I need this sword to do what I have to do. Are you trying to get me killed by Al-Qaeda? Is that is that what you want? No, I want you to realize that you cannot take a sword onto an airplane. Can't. If weren't people like me doing things that people like you told us that we couldn't do then nothing great would ever get done and america wouldn't be awesome i mean let me tell you something lady we may have our flaws but america is awesome you cannot carry the sword onto the plane tell that to george washington but what i loved is that they returned to her when he flies back again and she's just like Sir, we've been through this already. Like, you can't do it. And then we cut to God just saying, like, Gary, like, come on. And he's like, all right. Like, yes, my as soon as he sees it, he's like, all right, I know, I know I'm doing it. I know I'm doing yeah. it again. Yes, my lord. <laughs> I loved how, as the movie went on, he would cower in front of God more and more. And then, like, when God shows up in Pakistan driving the truck, he's basically just, like, crying in the passenger <laughs> seat as God is chewing him out. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious to see a guy go from, like, super strutting and ultra confident and like walking all over the world to just like a baby in a corner <laughs> within an instant. I just, Cage is able to just switch it so well for me. But it's also kind of believable because in theory, if you are of the mind that God has appeared to you and said, this is what you must do. I don't know if this is before or after he says, I will smite you, I will wipe you from all existence, where even your father will be like, I never had a son. Like That level of completely erased is scary. And so the fact that he just can't complete the job, like he can't find Bin Laden, you know, if, if you keep thinking that you're seeing God, you know, you're going to keep getting more and more scared. And you're right, like, he does a terrific job of just basically doing everything, but, you know, bawling up and crying, or like, it's amazing. There's that one exchange, because it gets to the extreme so far, where it's basically Gary's just like, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. And he's like, say yes, don't say yes again. And he's like, no, God. And he's like, you saying no to God? And he's like, ah, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> they know how to take advantage of the situations that are written there, like, and get the most out of them, you know? Like, when he's checking into the hotel, too, like, 
like it could have just checked into the hotel but he goes on about like the hot wings and america being awesome and all that stuff so they knew when to take advantage of certain situations in this movie to sort of punch it up and they knew what was working and they really focused on that one thing that i really liked that we talked about similarly last time like remember in dog eat dog you made it you talk, you, you pointed out that when he's getting a lap dance from that stripper and she's like you know you're actually really kind of hot mm-hmm. In this movie, yes. you know, he's talking to Wendy McClendon Covey, and she says, like, you're such a stud, I figured you'd have girls all over the place. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, who, wh- who is this cage? <laughs> this 52-year-old, like, schlubby, early on and racing with the moon and best of times and stuff. Like, he is a jacked, ripped, you know, great-looking dude. Con Air. <laughs> Here, it's, he's not. Like, he's, he's right. decidedly not. I mean, he's not ugly, but he's not a guy that women, especially women who look like that stripper, like Wendy McClendon-Covey, are going to be, you know, going to confuse or become some kind of, like, crazed sex object. And yet, two movies in a row that we get that same kind of thing. And then he has, like, this kind of semi-heartbreaking story about how he, like, doesn't have confidence around women. And it's it gets kind of deep in a way that I didn't expect this movie to get. You're, you're such a stud. I figured you'd have like girls all over the place hitting around. No, see that's that's just hype. See the thing is, I'm I'm picky. No, well, I'm I, I'm overcompensating. See, because I, I I don't feel like that all that. You know, I've I've had some issues because of the way I talk and sometimes the way I I look. You know, I I've, so I haven't felt very confident, but. But I am feeling something with you. I'm feeling some connection with you. And I really, I really like you, Marcy. Yeah, that scene was super crucial, too, I feel. Because he's saying everything about himself he doesn't like that we kind of don't like. You know, he's like, I know my voice can be, you know, irritating. And I might not look that great. And I could be this. And I know I'm that. And that's when I was like, wow, I okay, like, I'm starting to see this guy as a person, you know, like, he understands his flaws, and he's got control issues, or whatever, and I really was, like, glad that scene was in the movie, because, yeah, it took the extra minute to sort of, you know, show him as more of, like, a real person that that understands, like, yeah, I, I know how the way people look at me, but, like, I can't help it, it's the way I am. I'm just looking through my notes. Oh, we get God's infomercial? Oh, that's great. <laughs> We're God's on every channel, and then we get him, we get him on books and shit. That's awesome. Pimping the New Testament. <laughs> when he's like, there's gonna be a movie about that, and he's like, James Cameron? And what does he say? Oh, yeah, that guy's super confident. He's, he, no, he just says he's competent. Oh, I think com- he says competent. Oh, he's competent. I I tell like, yeah, he's, he's, he's fine. <laughs> I'm not sure because, uh, Russell Brand, even, he doesn't say Osama Bin Laden. He says, like, what's he say? Like, Osama Bin Laden or something? Like, sometimes, yeah. he, I mean, yeah. you know, it, he has, like, an especially thick accent, I feel. Like, he's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's really laying it on. So sometimes it's kind of hard to understand exactly what he's saying. But I thought it was hilarious that he just called James Cameron confident at first. <laughs> That's James Cameron sure is. <laughs> he can make a movie. We also see God's Got Talent, and we get the Gary Order Years Now, the infomercial where he sells a samurai sword for a, a penny. But I think the best of all of those kind of things is the Pakistani Cribs version for Bin Laden, <laughs> which is just, it's amazing. Yeah, the guy who played Bin Laden was hilarious. 
Yeah, he was good. He was. I, I liked when um, Gary was having that vision too, where he was hallucinating that he was at Bin Laden's cave and they were doing dialysis together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they get into a fucking sword fight. <laughs> and they both hurt their hands the first time they hit each other. Yes. Like, oh. oh, that was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, they both get their swords stuck in the rocky ceiling right, or the rocky roof. True. And then they get them both out, and then they hurt their hands. It's just neither of them know what they're doing, and it's wonderful. Yeah. That's another where I'm like, oh, they, they're taking advantage of opportunities here. Like, another example, I feel, of making something kind of, like, normal into something funny was during the chase through the market, where the guy jumps on a motorcycle, and Cage jumps on a motorcycle, and you think he's going to chase the guy down, but he just starts crashing into everything and knocking over, like, all of the stands and all the fruit and stuff, and it's like, immediately, that chase is over. And he has to like yeah. go jump into yeah. a cab yeah. and then he jumps in the cab and the guy's like he's like follow that guy and he's like in a movie and he's like oh yeah just like in the movies <laughs> oh well, he kind of has a Fonzie moment he kicks a pinball machine so hard that it worked <laughs> I oh, missed yeah, that yeah, yeah. he walks into like some Pakistani bar or something and there's a bunch of kids looking at this pinball machine and it's not working He's like, I know what to do. And he just kicks the side of it and it starts up. And all the kids That might have been during his, when he was like wandering around the village or the market and everything. Like he goes to the knife guy who's who's like sharpening knives. Gary's like, you got the long knives, you got the short knives. And he whips out his knife. And the guy's just like not impressed whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. There is a nice bunch of moments there where he's like wandering through and experiencing the culture. What I do like, and it's not a scene with Cage in it, but I think it might be the first time we see rain wilson and they're talking about bond but they also talk about how an american samurai (laughs) ruined one of their undercover ops and i just like that gary faulkner or cage as gary faulkner would probably love the fact that these two cia agents or whatever they are are referring to him as an american (laughs) samurai like it's such a it's such a high like as opposed to just like a crazy american guy with a sword like the fact that they call him an american samurai it's like it's it's almost too much of a compliment but it's, it's also perfect. Well, at one point, one of them accidentally calls him a ninja, and then he's like, no, he's a samurai. <laughs> Everything's always a little bit off. I mean, because Gary's a little bit off, so everything around him, the way that people refer to him, it makes sense that they're a little bit off, Indeed. too. Yeah, I was wondering why Rain Wilson was rocking that huge, bushy beard, and then his character is like, he wants to go undercover Mm -hmm. or like I just (laughs) I thought maybe that was why they were so taken by Gary and like making him out to be more you know just because of how goddamn bored they must have been out there and like they're just looking to get into the action somehow I don't know on the other hand you always sort of have the law enforcement agency be inept and try to seem stupid too and that was sure a good way to make him seem stupid like (laughs) one time they enter the scene the guy's just staring out the window and Rain Wilson's just like hey and the guy jumps like he was scared shitless and he was like never do that to me and it's like all right, that's like an immediate way to make this guy seem foolish or bad at his job or something I don't know I just yeah they were the one guys that I was like yeah they just seem like they're here because they need to be here I wish they were played a little more straight but they don't ruin the movie or anything I think it's before the last time he goes to Pakistan and it seems like I mean it's not possible but it seems like the last time he goes he kind of decides on the way there just to turn the plane around and return home but it's mm-hmm. right before then that he's talking to Wendy McClendon Covey she says do you want to know what I'm afraid of and he says bats and she says, no. He says, that's all I got. Like, that's the only thing he could think of. Like, of all the things in the world that could terrify her, not him leaving, just, I got, it's, if it's not bats, I don't know what it could, I don't know what it could be. And then what he said scared him the most was islands. 
<laughs> like, yeah. And she's like, you mean like Hawaii and stuff? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> the fact that he cries over SEAL Team 6 is kind of heartbreaking. These guys are getting all the accolades, and I guess they were able to successfully complete the mission that he wanted to complete. And I mean, it's it's sort of the ravings of a madman, but it's sort of, it's sad to see him, like the glory that he felt he deserved, s- escape his fingers. Yeah, you know, like that's when you see him at his lowest, like he didn't get to complete his goal. So I really feel like naturally as a person whenever you see that you're gonna empathize with the guy a little more and feel sorry for the dude and everything but you know he really sort of goes into like a fast denial there and starts raving and I I almost thought the movie was gonna keep going or something like that you know I feel like that was played just right like they they could have really gone too far with it but i i believe that the, like he's on the plane and he turns right around like i kind of like that thought he's had it's enough like it is done and that's not even the point anymore the point is like as he was for me anyway was you know as he was trying to accomplish this goal he ended up you know having like a family in the end you know he was with this woman and this and this girl and they love him and he loves them and you know that's what it's all about it's about that and he gets the fame anyway so and it turned out well for him right like he ended up being like a minor celebrity and getting 15 minutes in a movie played by Nick Cage so I do wonder what Gary thinks of the movie I'd love to know I bet he likes it I mean he's in it there's actual footage yeah. of him not just in it in the sense that his character a character of him is in it but like actual footage of him is in the movie I'm sure it exists on YouTube but I wish on the DVD the Blu-ray that there was an interview with him or with him and Cage because the only special feature I think on the Blu-ray is the making of like that seven minute thing that Mike mentioned Mm. before yeah I wish there was just a little bit more because I want to I want to know more about I don't know if I want to know more about him because Mike sent me that Letterman interview like the link Mm -hmm. to it and I didn't click on it because like I don't want (laughs) to know who this guy is outside of Cage's portrayal like I want him to live on in my memory just as Cage because it's so wonderful and delightful That's all I want to know him as. I'd seen that Letterman thing before this movie was announced, so I was like, what? Cage is going to be that guy? Oh, that's going to be amazing. I think that's all I have to say about it. I mean, otherwise we'd just be like saying quotes. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot, but it's probably good for people to just enjoy it themselves. Lindsay, since you're the guest, is there anything else in your notes, anything else that you want to make sure that we mention on this episode? No, I think I think everything that was in my notes was mentioned. Mike, anything that you have left that you want to, you want to talk about? No, I mean, I have like one minor... Well, I mean, I don't know if we mentioned Cage Nection, but we said he was in Vegas again, so that's a major uh, Cage Nection there. I, I think he wakes up on the beach at one point in Mexico, but he made it to the beach, which is like... And he says, is this Pakistan? They're like, no, senor. Another Cage Nection is and this, and this is a little bit of a stretch, but at one point he says he's taking care of business, oh, yeah. and, El- and Elvis's motto was taking care of business in a flash. His logo or his icon for a while was TCB and a lightning bolt, and so I just like that Cage we know loves Elvis, and Elvis was always taking care of business, and Cage in this movie is taking care of business, so that's a little bit of a half connection maybe, but I'm still going to count it. I think that was it, basically. Yeah, I just... I was so delighted with this movie. Like, I can't remember the last time, like, I had this big uh, shit-eating grin on my face for 90 minutes. Like, I was just ear to ear like the Joker. And I was, was, like, clapping, jumping up and down during this movie. I mean, really, really enjoyed it. Very entertaining. I I mean, just such a treat. So, seek this out for sure. I agree. It's definitely the best Cage movie since Joe. So, rent it, buy it, do whatever you want to do. 
It'll probably, I'm assuming, be Netflix-ish in the next six months or a year. Yeah. But yeah. this is definitely one worth ponying up a couple bucks for mm-hmm. and watching sooner because it is amazing. Well, thank you, Lindsay Gibb, for joining us. You'll be back for Keanu's, I think. Uh-huh. At one point, when we do this, when we say the goodbyes, I'm going to have the people's, you know, next movie just listed in front of me. But <laughs> <laughs> you'll be back for no more Cage movies. All the ones that are on IMDb have been assigned already, so that's kind of a bummer. But you'll be back for The Gift in mm-hmm. Keanu Club in nice. just a couple months. So is that one? Of, yeah, that's one of the Fat Keanu's. So we just had a Fat <laughs> Keanu moment in the last time I committed suicide. But, you know, you will be in the Fat Keanu era. Ooh. So you'll be back soon in a couple months. That episode of Keanu Club comes out February 3. So okay. not too far away. See you next year. See you next year. Well, thank you very much for joining us and for closing out your 2016 Cage Club with us. Yeah. For all things Cage Club and Keanu Club, like we just mentioned, and Zack Attack and all his movies and all sorts of fun things, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub, see all the episodes that we've recorded, find out what's coming next. Maybe we have one more Cage Club movie this year. We have Snowden, which is either going to come out this year or early next year, depending on schedules and stuff around the holidays but there's one more cage movie coming in the very near future but go to those two places cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub and find out when we're doing stuff so all sorts of fun free listening things at those two places i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and that was Lindsay gibb and we'll see you next time on cage club <laughs>